There's no common goal. There's no moral action. There's no modern age from which to run away. There's no grace in love without no projection. There's no sky above for you to cry into. Welcome to the 90 Minute Cynic Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Gallagher. A very frustrated and flustered Chris Gallagher, I must say. I need to apologise for the quality of the 90 Minute Cynic Podcast this week. This is due to everybody being against me, um, everything falling apart. And um, at this point, I literally am on my knees and uh, technology can get fucked. I've never seen you this excited agitated it's um it's i quite enjoying it that's the that's the voice of um of christian wolf hell of a beating on twitter um so what's happened is that we've had some issues with our um equipment and uh, skype decided decided to be just a bit of a dick as well so um but we're getting stuff recorded we're getting stuff done that's what we do this we're powering through we're powering through um I'm joined by on on my right hand side, right hand of the father. Um, it's it's Paddy. Paddy, evening all. Did we know Paddy second name? Solish. So that's a, that's a Polish oh, second German. name. Yeah. And um, that we'll link back into that. The, oh, we will talk a lot about Paddy on this. <laughs> Mostly about his hair, which is a work of art. Paddy may be the coolest person I've ever met. Well, I'd say once it gets talking about you know. Once you get into the flow of things, you might change your mind, but no, we'll see. Well, listen, I mean, <laughs> listen to that accent for a start. Um, also joining is, is um, the G-Man, the G-Meister General, Jeanton Steele. It's the man himself. It's Graham. Graham, hey. is it McKay or Mackay? Mackay. No, 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 come on. It's Mackay. It's yeah. Mackay. I just want to say that uh, Paddy sounds very much like Chris Cormans. <laughs> is he... Nottingham way. Yeah, I think so. He doesn't look like Chris Cummins. <laughs> and he's, and he's, he's a lot better than Chris Cummins. He's also not a fat wank. How <laughs> um, did do you shoot from like improbable angles at times? Yeah. Also, shooting's not my thing. Well, <laughs> he's a left back. Yeah. He doesn't shoot. I <laughs> uh, also want to say um, thanks to Mark, Celtic guy on Twitter. Marco Polo, I've decided to call him. Because um, he's the only one who tweeted the day and said, "Oh, there's a ninety minute cynic podcast." Good for him. Yes, good, good for him. Say, say good from you, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Good. Yeah. This is Chris. This is Christian's podcast. He's going to take over now, and I'll I just. Think... Get, I'm actually not even um, hosting. I'm actually just. Uh, You're just here for the caller. I'm just. You know, this is me. I'm. Uh, you know, right any questions? Room. If everyone can shut up for a second. <laughs> any questions or comments about anything? I'm here, Christian. Thank you. So, what we've been trying to do for the, for the last hour is I started this podcast about our second feature podcast about the supplement. Our supplement is, of course, our bi-monthly magazine where we get some of the the brightest, the best, and maybe not so good. No, they're usually good uh, writers around the Celtic world to to send in articles. Um, we got the fifth edition out now, 90 It's the first time it's available to 
download at the same time. So that is a free online magazine, premium content for you to download as well uh, at any time. And what we're doing after each edition now is just having our podcast. We can maybe talk a little bit about the articles, but just really have an excuse to to come together and talk about football and some of the articles. I bloody, so, lo- I bloody love football. I know. Um, and Graham, I mean, I think I think we've had three or four beers waiting for us to set this up now. So I'm going to come to you first in terms of... <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the first article we have in this edition is, is from Ewan Coyne. Um, and Ewan is, is one of our Irish correspondents and he's, he's talking about the summer of 1998. Um, Dublin versus Glasgow where St. Patrick face Celtic in the European Cup mm. and the same time as Shelburne met Rangers in the UEFA Cup and he's and in his articles it's I, I really like Ewan's article because he's, he's talking about this crappy summer job he had in a industrial laundry uh, just gave him enough money to buy beer and, and some substances and CDs and an ocean colour scene bucket hat and it's just he was walking around waiting for this um the draw of, of for the European, European Cup, St. Patrick's being his local club, and you know, it was just remembering the sweat and the chemicals and the soap and the despair and the hangovers, and then you know, it was something personal memory has burned into his mind. Um, it kind of sounds like Brian Adams in Summer of '69. Uh, but in terms of your personal memories of, of your European Cup games growing up in in Barhead, you know, what, what sticks out to you in terms of you know, maybe not a specific game or something, but you know, European football. Were you growing up? Well, first I would like to say that does that mean that Ian Jess is actually Ewan Jess? I, I don't take my pronunciation of any name. I can hardly <laughs> pronounce my own name correctly, so I'm, I'm going to go with Ewan. I think Ewan Coyne is the best prospect on the ninety minutes, uh, ninety minutes, I think supplement. So, uh, but yeah, f- uh, regarding like European matches, uh, I, I, my f- first season ticket was the the final Tommy Burns year. And I think the game that sticks out for me, one of the two, I've, I've got two written down here, and the first one would be Hamburg. I don't know if either of you remember that. It was a Hamburg tie where we basically basically beat 2-0 at home and 2-0 away. And uh, we started... I was at, sorry, I was, at that, I was at the home game. Yep. We basically, I was looking back on it uh, earlier, and we, we started with what looks like a 4-2-4 with uh, V-Cost and Peter Grant in the, as the two in midfield. And <laughs> I think that Tommy Burns mentioned afterwards that when when Hamburg attacked, we had four players up the park still because De Canio, Van Hoydon, Cadet and Tom weren't tracking back. And it just looks like such a naive kind of team to be putting out in Europe. And I remember that night, we just we, we never got near them. I don't know, what Gal, can you remember much from it? I just remember thinking we've just been totally outclassed tonight. Um, I, you know, that was the thing about Tommy Burns. He was just, I've said this before and I've said it again, you know, throughout the times I've watched Celtic, the best best football we've ever played is under Tommy Burns. Um, maybe only in patches, maybe only at times, but, you know, some of the football was utterly scintillating. Uh, Martin O'Neill played very winning football. Brendan Rodgers is developing a, an unbelievable overall sort of kind of style and, and platform, but under Tommy Burns, we, it was just, it was, naive, was it naive? It was just exuberant, it was joyous, and in Europe, we, I remember the PSG game as well, we got absolutely yeah. annihilated at home. Yeah. Um, that was the kind of two big games for for me growing up, like when I was, because that was what, 94? 
95 and 90... I think it was 95 and 96. Yeah, well, the Hamburg was 96. I think PSG would have been the season before, yeah. And like, but then again, it's like the PSG game. You talk about how we were, you know, like beaten horrifically. But you know, they had like um, Rai and like uh, Guerin and all these, yeah, exactly all these fantastic players. So as much as it was maybe a little bit just naivety, I don't know naivety. Would you call it naivety, or would you call it sticking to your principles, Pat? What about you? Would you call it naivety if you stick to that and you get gubbed? Well, I think if you've got other philosophy, then. You've got a sixth avenue. I think in, in those other articles in this edition, people talk about Solskjaer in Europe and how they, you know, do they go out how they have been playing before, um, like with Lennon or O'Neill, like you said, or do they try and change and go for a nil-nil or whatever? But is that, you know, going against what you believe in or you... Can I just say, this is Paddy's first podcast and he's just done a perfect segue into the next part and in terms of Graham's article uh, <laughs> it is written for the supplement this time I should maybe said before we started that our supplement theme this time is European football hence why we started talking about European football um, you could uh, you could ask me a question to open up about matters of European football yeah, well, hey, well we might come to that okay yeah but no it's as, as, you, as you say that I mean Graham you, you touched about, upon this in your article as well um, and we could maybe jump into it because essentially this is what's faced and what your article is about is what has faced all Celtic managers, especially in, in the Champions League area, whereas they're usually quite dominant at home. They, they can play a certain way, uh, but where they come into Europe, they're certainly not the best team in the league anymore and they're usually you know, more of an underdog. Mm-hmm. So it's that your article is basically around that do they go for pragmatism or do they go for the Celtic way, essentially? Yeah, and like I think when I wrote that article, I was kind of I didn't I didn't know that I didn't know what my answer was. And after watching uh, Celtic Bayern at home, I think my answer is we play the Celtic way. And the reason I would say that is because I don't know about you guys, but see the way that we took Bayern on at a football match at Celtic Park? Because we never took Barcelona on at a football match under Neil Lennon. We took them on at a let's stop you playing football match. And the way that we took Bayern on, like we were passing the ball in triangles, we were trying to keep our composure. I had people afterwards, because I was watching a pub over here, and people came up to me and were saying like, this was they expect they didn't expect that kind of football from us. They were saying basically that we played like a kind of prem, English Premiership team against them, and a bit of it was like a fuck you patronising kind of thing. But also, I had a bit of pride about it. I was thinking to myself, yeah, this is the way we Brendan Rodgers is trying to instill a philosophy, and that's maybe the way that we should be going about things because realistically, we're never going to win the competition. It's 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 waiting in a way in which it's not possible anymore so what do we want to do do we want, do we want to kind of like meekly go into the next, last 16 or do we want to try and develop our players do we want to try and get Callum McGregor in and start playing football or do we want to try and just defend and have Fleming Charlie Mulgrew at left wing you know what I mean it's it doesn't seem like a viable way forward just to get into the last 16 and then get knocked out and Gallows the you know, um, I was at the game, and the home game, and as Graham said, there was this, it was a, a unique performance by Celtic. But do you think it's, it's is it sustainable to play that way? Just obviously, you want to play that way, and against Bayern Munich, it, it, it went really well in the show. They can do it, but does it need to be more pragmatism, especially away? I mean, I had a season ticket for eighteen years, but you went to one game, but no bother. Um, <laughs> 
I think that's, it's an interesting point. Um, I, I, you know, I was listening to an interview with Sean Maloney today, and he was talking about Rogers at uh, just at Celtic and how he Rogers just is, oversees everything. He's he's got his hand in literally everything, and how the development of even like the um, where the, the 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 players eat and stuff. Um, they've got the eat together, and you know it's all streamlined menus and all that. And they've obviously got the sports science to to deal with that sort of aspect of it. And he's got his his kind of ideals are planted all over the place. And he said, Sean Maloney said, it's not just a short term thing. It doesn't feel like a short term thing. It feels like he's build, building a structure to maybe be passed over. In my mind, I th- I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I think. Chris Davis will probably take over the helm of the ship after Brendan Rodgers, which could see a very, very seamless kind of passover um, going the way we've kind of been going. Again, let's not think about that. But let's just enjoy Brendan Rodgers being the manager where we've got him. But can you sustain that? You can only sustain that if you bring in a, a stream of quality players. You can only sustain that if you bring through players who are going to play that style of football, who know that style of football. And by implementing that into the academies, implementing playing from the back from the very sort of youth bottom of the youth you know maybe five or six years we might start a kind of chain of you know Michael Johnson looks like a terrific player and we've got Ralston we've obviously got Tierney if we can start a conveyor belt of young hungry Scottish players mixed in with some experienced uh, European players and and by the way experience doesn't mean 30-31 experience can be 26-27 and if we kind of develop, you know, your Callum McGregor's and your hopefully Stuart Armstrong's if he stays a little longer. Yeah, I think you can. I'd rather die on my feet than die on my knees or whatever that fucking phrase is. Also, but the point I also want to make in, you know, you mentioned about playing football against Bayern. Do you know when we, do you know when the last time I remember us doing that? Under Ronnie Dyla against Inter Milan at home. Under Ronnie Dyla against Inter Milan at home, we were on the front foot. And now people can turn around and you can say, you know, it was a for a shadow an Inter Milan side and they're not quite where they were taking all that aside two goalkeeping errors um, we potentially could have won that game and it was very it was us attacking it was us playing football um, and yeah we've got it in us to do that it's just at the very 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 top level you know Arsenal and Manchester United aren't competing with uh, PSG or Barcelona so I mean I don't know why we expect to the goalkeeping error you know, probably cost us the, the game against Bayern Munich as well. Just there. What, the Chris got kick up? Yeah, I wasn't happy with that. What, the header? No, the first goal. What was the first goal? Oh, no, that was... I, I fully blame Boyata for that. But, it, I mean, in, Graham, in terms of your article, as, as Gal says, the Rodgers has a very... Or he's building a very unique style. Do you, do you kind of have to go back to Martin O'Neill's era in terms of the European football before you see such a... Clear style because while well, he had some very good results on the strike in London, O'Neill was maybe you have maybe have to go as far back as O'Neill before you can say a team played the Celtic way or at least a bit more expansive in Europe. Yeah, and before before I answer that, just to touch on something uh, uh, Chris was saying there, one thing that I think we spoke about on our WhatsApp group months and months ago was the fact that it I, I cannot worries me that. We seem to be looking at David Moyes and Brendan Rodgers. I don't know if it went that far, but that doesn't show to me that the Celtic higher-ups have joined up thinking. Yeah, doesn't show to me that they had a, a method going forward. And what I worry about is 
uh, post Brendan Rogers, we we go for another scattergun approach. But regarding uh, Martin O'Neill, for me, when when, when Gordon Strachan took over, I was in mourning. I was in constant mourning because it was a. It felt to me it was if we used to be confident. I don't know, Gal, you probably felt the same. Going to Celtic Park, we're going to beat the opposition. League games, cup games, European games, we're going to get beat the opposition. When it came to Gordon Strachan, I just didn't. I didn't feel as if there was no confidence anymore. There was just a case of maybe we'll do something, maybe we won't. Under Martin O'Neill, was it was a case of. We have this certain way of playing. We have these players. And obviously the players were the big difference as well. But under Martin O'Neill, we had a way of playing. And it was really, really effective. Especially the first season and a half, maybe two seasons of the three-five-two, Really, really effective. Sutton and Larson up front before Hartson came in. I Up until that Porto away game, where we get absolutely annihilated, we may be up front. Our summers in Portugal that continued over the years. <laughs> was it Nuno Capucho? And then Rangers signed them off the back of that one game. That's <laughs> fucking horrendous. But under under O'Neill, I, I I do agree with you. <clears throat> but I think it was just more about, and this is where your manager I think is really important. Martin O'Neill and Brendan Rodgers are very very similar characters. Now their coaching techniques and styles completely different, but characters they completely command respect. Not only of the players, but of the crowd. Mm. Um, as soon as Martin O'Neill came in and he said, this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it, everyone gave him time and everyone shut up and everyone got on with it. It's the same with Brendan Rodgers. No, there's, you know, never be, oh, Brendan knows what he's doing. Brendan's the man. Strachan never had that. Um, Dyla certainly never had that. And that obviously that was to his detriment. Um, but it's to me, it's just, it's not necessarily the manager what they can do from a tactical or technical point of view of course that's important but it's the character of of, of the manager and that's why this is this might sound completely backward and dinosaur-esque um if rangers got a manager that isn't necessarily the best manager that they can get but a manager with just an aura about him mm. which Derek McInnes absolutely is not um yeah, no, I mean, people joke and mock Billy Davis. Billy Davis is for get... a reason. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not talking about him personally. Billy Davis could get in a fight in an empty house, but the fact is, Billy Davis is actually a really good technical, tactical coach, and the players will completely respect him. And uh, and yeah, I don't know how we got into Rangers, but the fact the fact is, um, under Mark O'Neill, teams were scared to come to Parkhead. And it's for a reason, because Celtic bullied teams. Chris Sutton is one of the most intelligent footballers I've ever seen, and he excelled in European football. He excelled with that pressure. Larson's Larson, Sutton bullied people, Bobo, Mialbi. We don't have that physicality anymore. Um, I don't know if it would help with the style of how much football has changed and evolved, but you know, a, a manager with a little bit of gravitas and even just a sound knowledge of kind of tactical in your, your sound. Graham, the next game is, is PSG. 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 Who's, that's how they pronounce their French. Uh, PSG. <laughs> um, now, it's, it's easy to see, like, on the back of the, you know, the Bayern game, where they actually took on Bayern. Going, going to Paris, do you, as, as Gal says, did you, would you rather Celtic go out and, and and die on their feet and maybe get another four or five nil in in the bag 
or is the impact of another big beating enough worth it? And just say, look, we're gonna try and and you know have this choice again, again, you know, do to just try and be pragmatic and just try and shut up shop in in Paris. I think that the difference is like even when you try to be pragmatic, you need to step up to the game. And in, in Munich and at home against Paris, we never got near the opposition. And it was a case of, we looked at frightened kind of uh, rabbits. Uh, and if we are going to be pragmatic, it means we still need to be on top of our game, going into tackles with composure, looking to have some kind of confidence. But for me, I would rather, this, we're, we're out of the Champions League. I would rather we just go and try and take them on at a football match because at the end of the day, Thiago Motta is on his way out. Uh, is it Raboy? Raboy? Somebody, somebody needs to have him. Aye. Honestly, just snap him. Yeah, and uh, uh, Raboy has a good game every one or two, three games. Like it doesn't, it doesn't. And uh, Verratti is the same. Like you know, I mean, he's not. They're not the most consistent. So on our day, we can even if we get beat one or two now, as long as we stand up and play a game of football against them, because without the competition, what what does it matter? You know what I mean? Like just take them on. Um, what I love, uh, Graham, is uh, you've got the thing that I have where you're like uh, straight after. You know, when we get beat away from home in Europe, um, you get so frustrated and get so angry and you get so so bitter about it. After the game, you start thinking to yourself, well, you know, checks and balances and, you know, the, how much money they've spent and where we are. And then you forget all that pain and you think to yourself, do you know what, maybe we could. Uh, like, yep, definitely. Yep. <laughs> well, you know, um, Captain Hip, um, Pat, what, you know, from a kind of, you, you, know, you know, you watch European football. Yeah, sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, you watch Celtic. How do you kind of look at the Celtic situation with these tankings away from home and against these big teams? Do you do you think people see it as a, an embarrassment or people just see it as a, well, PSG are so far ahead? Well, they are ahead of it. You know, people like United and Arsenal anyway, aren't they? So, you know, in that sense, with, with the money that these teams have now, there's not many people that can compare to these teams. Um, and obviously, I think... In terms of Celtic, like we alluded to with O'Neill and these guys, there's always been a big divide. And like you said as well, you still got to step up to that plate, haven't you? On that day, on that night, in those games, you know you can have a game plan, and then you can you either deliver it, or if you're not at that level, then that happens to all games, you know, in loads of games. Um, but I think, um, yeah, I think this group you got anyway was so difficult coming third for you guys. You know that was that would be a great achievement. You know? Progress, yeah. yeah. Winning, so, winning, and behind the left. You know that was. I mean, that was a big victory, isn't it? That. I think in general, Paddy. I mean, you live in England. You, you're English, even though yeah, you don't yes. want to be. Um, it's a really horrible thing to say. It's <laughs> true. You're Norwegian. I'm guessing you don't want to be. Oh, I'm. I'm very happy to be Norwegian. It wouldn't be. Um, it's but true. it's true. But in terms of. You know how obviously you, you play football. You might you know interested in football. In general, how is Celtic viewed now in terms of... Because it's easy for us to sit here in a, you know, in a Glasgow bubble and, and Celtic fans and you talk about Celtic. But in terms of how, you know, in general, football fans and maybe in England, how is Celtic viewed? I think with, with the whole Rangers situation, I, there has been a certain... Um, I wouldn't say lack of interest, but obviously Celtic have you know, taken so many strides forward as other teams, you know, really struggle in that league, don't they? So it's... You know, it, people do tend to kind of gloss over the Scottish League. Um, but don't you think that's always been the case? 
I mean, I don't see... I the old firm's always been a, you know, a game that people have been interested in, but I think with the Rangers, at the minute, you know, how they are, they are. They're always not challenging, are they, at the minute? For, firstly, there is no old firm. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I, I think, I, I get your point, um, uh, Captain Hip, um, that, yeah, I, I do think there always has been an interest in Celtic and Rangers, but I do think that people, you know, I was listening to BBC Sports Sound and, all these fucking English-based Scottish, so-called Scottish ex-internationals talking about how we need a strong Rangers because there's no interest in Scottish football without them. There's never been an interest in Scottish football down south. There's been an interest in Celtic and there's been an interest in Rangers. There's never been an interest in Scottish football. I'd say. And, that, and, sorry, and, and, and that's what annoys me. Um, Scottish football doesn't need England. We don't need recognition. The, the league's in a terrific... We're doing very well. I think it's a terrific product. I don't think we sell ourselves nearly half as good as we should, even a quarter. But no one has ever... No one in England has ever given a shit, given a shit about Scottish football. Maybe in the 70s and maybe in the 80s when Aberdeen and Dundee United were kind of doing stuff. But see, in the 90s, after after Italian 90, when English football kind of, you know, won, won back its own sort of, you know, teams back in, in Europe and stuff, and... Scottish football has never been a thing in England. It's it's been cl- individual clubs certainly. You know, I'm sure there's guys and where you're from who are supporters of specific clubs or guys in Portsmouth who like Aberdeen or whatever. But it's no one's ever liked Scottish football. They've liked Celtic and they've liked Rangers. So this whole myth that Scottish football is dead without English team, without the English media fawning over them, we don't fucking need you. We don't want you. All right. And I guess the worst thing is, is to be is to keep comparing it to English yeah. football. No and that never helps. And I think, you know, like I said, you guys, you know how you know uh, how good this league could be. And Brendan Rodgers is very positive, isn't he, about, yeah. about everything? But he's very positive about Scottish football at the minute, isn't he? Yeah. And you know, I think that helps Celtic as well because he's like the you know blazing a trail in terms of how he is as a manager. And like you said, how he is in terms of he takes over Celtic. He is Celtic as a manager, isn't he? Yeah. The fans, the team, he's got the reputation coach. as well. Yeah. But. I- if you look at it like that, I think Brendan Rodgers coming to Celtic is probably the biggest name that's come to Scottish football in, I don't know how long. The Cavacar, term- probably. Yeah. I, I, I'd it, say, I'm not talking players and managers. I'd say since Martin O'Neill. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. He had a name, you know. Martin O'Neill was really, I mean, yeah. he, and obviously not back leads and stuff, and um, he came to us and I was shocked when we got him, yeah. but it, it was and terrific. It, and I think you have, it's a really good point, Gal, because I think that's where the Scottish League in itself, it's it's or the people who administer and promote it and, and sell the broadcasting rights for it is maybe facing a trick because ideas. they seem to try and be a poor man's England mm. in terms of the coverage and everything around that, whereas they should be something, we should something be a bit more we should be, I, I always use MLS as, as an example because that's it's an obvious example in terms of you can become a cult league and you know it's never gonna be the best league. But that doesn't mean you can have a big interest, in it. especially in. I don't give a fuck who watches our league. <laughs> oh, no, no, like... no, but just the way it's, it's, it's promoted and right, it's right. broadcast. I want, us, I want us to market our league so that the clubs make more money, so right. that the clubs can compete in Europe. But I don't give a fuck if, you know, Pavel from Poland is watching our league. I don't give a shit if Stevie from um, Texas is watching our league. Oh, I, I, I care that a kid from Arbroath. Is watching is watching another league ahead of ours. That's what I get upset. I get upset when our league is badly marketed to people in Scotland because they, they are the people who yeah. are going to get inspired by it and want to be part of it. I really so, hope we've got a listener called Stevie from Texas. He's crying <laughs> at the moment. 
So, sorry, Stevie. So, um, Graham from Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, you say Barhead? He's not from Germany. I know, he's from Barhead. <laughs> uh, he's not from the show. Um, <laughs> but, but, Graham, in terms of, obviously, yeah, I, I say you live in Germany as well. Do you, and obviously Germany has you know, a big dominant top five league. Is there any attention in Germany on your neighboring leagues in terms of, you know, the Austrian or the Swiss? Or is it, is it very much, is it the same as maybe in England where you don't really look outwards? The the, the Germans have great contempt for, like, the, the Austrians and the Swiss. Uh, they call the, the Austrians the Valley Shittles because of the Alps. I don't, I don't know why, but, like, I don't know why having Alps makes you want to shit in a valley, but that's apparently what they do. And uh, the Swiss, they make fun of them because of the way that they speak German. So they have a kind of a deep contempt for those two countries, I think. So, no, there's no, absolutely no coverage of uh, Austrian or Swiss football here. There should be. <laughs> so, I mean, Graham's article is called Rodgers and the Haves and the Have-Nots. And it goes into this in terms of, you know, the Celtic managers in the, in the Champions League area. You know, do they do pragmatism? Do they do idealism? And it was—I mean—it's a very well-timed article, Graham. It, you know, if we managed to get the edition out a week earlier, it would have been even better timing. <laughs> uh, but I, I think I think it's a really interesting moment in, in terms of that whole debate for Celtic. because, as you said, got I think at the moment Celtic finally has, after a long time and trying to bridge the gap, have a manager that might actually be able to get them to play the Celtic way in Europe. And actually, might be successful. Um, one thing I would say is, um, Graham, I'm sure you remember this game. God bless him. Now, Liam Miller um, scored one of the best goals I've ever seen at Parkhead um, when he scored against. Uh, he scored against Anderlecht and Leon, didn't he? Yep. Yep. I those two goals, and he's in a horrible situation now. So, God, God bless him and good oh, luck to him. Yeah, good luck to him, man. Uh, one thing I would say about the the whole situation is, like, if you ask most Celtic fans. What do you like? What what were your kind of favorite moments in the Champions League in the last few years? They will say the kind of Barcelona win. They will say like qualifying after beating Man United. So the problem is we we're talking about wanting to play football, but most people will just remember the results. Mm. Also, see the other thing, Graham. I remember when we had our first ever Champions League qualifying game against Croatia Zagreb, and um, Darren Jackson scored. And we won one nil, and then we went over there and we get tanked. Prozaneki, Prozaneki was phenomenal that night, yeah. unbelievable. But I remember at that time feeling we were so far away from the Champions League qualifiers, and that we would never qualify ever, and we couldn't compete at that level. And that's how far away I feel that we are from the top level. Yeah, that eventually subsided, and we did eventually compete. So I've got hope that will build on it and you know Martin O'Neill came in and he totally revolutionised and it did take time you know Bordeaux at home when uh, was it last Lawn scored in the very you know that first was minute extra time wasn't it we, we took this extra time at Celtic Park I think and I remember being at that game with my sister and thinking god there's a chance we could get to the second round of the UEFA Cup yeah. oh my god yeah. so I mean you know that wasn't that long ago in the grand scheme of things um, it's just a Karen, okay, the blonde one. She beat me and her at a season ticket for like fifteen years. Um, but so, I I think what I would say to Celtic fans is uh, just patience and um, yeah, it's going it's going to be a lot more struggles, but I think we'll get there eventually. And I'd rather you know I'd rather try and develop. I'd rather play football the Glasgow Celtic 
way, well, they gave us James McGlory and Paul McStay, am I right? Exactly, huh? exactly. Graham, our next article is, is, is Ronan Keenan's. Um, That's Ronan Keenan, not Ronan Keating. Well, <laughs> who knows? We've never actually met him. It could be, uh, it could be Keating himself. But he's, uh, Ron's got a, a regular column for us, and, and then this time he's looking at his, his five top European away adventures. Uh, oh, yeah. With, um, it, it, his top five is Arsenal away, 2009, Eduardo Dive. Um, Juventus at home. He got whips coming, yeah. <laughs> Juventus at home. Ron comes from Ireland, so he can actually call home games away. And 2012-13. Number three is AC Milan away in December 2007. He went to number two, Inter away with Ronnie Dyla. Ronnie Dyla. Ronnie Dyla in San Siro. And is Gary McKay Stephen? If he just actually, oh, if he just finished that opportunity, who knows where we'd be at this point? Probably won the European Europa League that year. Yeah, yeah. I think so. And it's, and it's, it's number one. Um, away trip with Celtic is, is actually last year's Mission Gladbach away um, which kind of goes to a point like when you go away or if you go to see football anywhere um, you often don't you care about the result but I think there's everything outside that as well I mean you, you recently went to see Celtic away at Bayern Munich it wasn't that far for no. a trip but it's, it's it's something special, isn't it? It's it was amazing. Like it, my my desktop wallpaper at the moment is a picture from Marienplatz, which is full of uh, full of Celtic fans, and just going down into like the the Marienplatz station, and everyone's singing the "This is the day that we'll win away," falsely, obviously. But uh, all these Germans are coming up the escalator, just filming everyone as we're going down. It's just it, it was an amazing kind of moment and you've got all these this Bayern guy sidled up to me this uh, old guy and wanted to swap uh, tops uh, and he had like a, a 10 year old Bayern top and I'd just get my the new one from my, from my birthday from my brother and I was like nah I don't think so but it's just uh, the, the the kind of uh, the, the the atmosphere was amazing like it, I don't know if it would be my favourite but it was it was definitely one of the best away trips that I've ever been on you asked me about my favourite away trip. I, I, I was going to, yeah. Uh, so, Dunfermline, 2-0 um, <laughs> down. Phil uh, scored two goals, and uh, it was a two-week draw. I also went away one time to Wraith Rovers, because um, we got tickets, my sister knew one of the centre-halves for Wraith Rovers, I think he was trying to win sure. And uh, Canio scored, it was 1-0. I've never been here in a way out of a European match. So. I, I'm not going to say I've, I've been many either, but I mean, obviously, um, you know, I, I quite like to go on the big occasions. So, so I, I managed to go to the UEFA Cup final, and when it was called the UEFA Cup final in, in 2001, Alaves, uh, Alaves, Liverpool, four uh, five after extra time. Gary McAllister was phenomenal. Gary McAllister with the, the free kick, free kick. Um, for the own goal in that, and and, and it's, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, what I remember was that is that. Um, the day we were leaving, I actually got my uh, acceptance letter from from University of Stirling. So I've always remembered that trip in terms of that's the start of my my Scottish adventure as well. And here, sixteen years later, I'm sitting doing a podcast. The name of the I would like to apologise for exposing <laughs> you. Yeah. Um, can I just quickly? Um, I know we're going to talk about international football in a minute. Um, Gary McAllister. Oh. Um, what a fantastic footballer! He missed that penalty at Euro '96. And when we came back for the qualifiers for, for uh, France 98. Czech Republic at Celtic Park. Yeah, they booed him. Aye, I was there. Disgraceful. It's, 
they booed him. Well, well, yeah. He was our captain. Oh. I, he was our captain because I'm a massive Scotland fan. He was our captain. Um, I, I just uh, how, how fickle football fans truly oh, can be. Well, come on. To but Scotland I just, fans. I just want just no, thingy. So, Paddy, your, your favourite trip away to see football? Um, well. Give us a little bit of back. Can you give us a little bit of background of who you support and where they are now? And where well, they are? I've um, I followed Stockport County for uh, most of my life. My uh, my mum, mother was from um, a little village near Stockport called Romley, and we used to go on a Friday, me and my dad and family over to see the grandparents. We used to go on a Friday night in Stockport because um, obviously the big Manchester clubs took all the Saturday games. So we'd go to the game on the Friday night and then uh, have the weekend there with my grandparents. Um, but yeah, that's when we were riding high in the old Division Three, which is uh, we've always Jesus been around Christ. there. But um, over the years, we've been uh, League One about ten years ago. Christian came to a game at Leeds United. We lost two nil. About, uh, but we had a good performance. But as with most teams in that level, money goes, and then yeah, um, we, we got to the playoff final in 2008, and then we played all our players out on that on that victory, and then half a season later, we managed administration sold all our best players. Did you know Josh Thompson at one point as well? Yeah, yeah, he was there. Yeah, he was salty, wasn't he? he went oh, really, really sorry for that because he was jobbies when he was up there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, he was around that. Like, he, he played at that Leeds game when you came to that Leeds game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've gone to see Stockport a, a couple of times. And I remember I took the train down from Glasgow. We went to see a, a home game uh, probably 10 years ago now. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was a great experience because it's, you know, as you go, you go to the local pub. Um, all the opposition fans are sitting there, all the stopper fans sitting here. It was it's really lovely wee ground as well. It just kinda of pairs uh you know from the terrace street. But then I remember we went to Leeds and I think it's the game I've felt in terms of the way we were treated even just by the police and stewards, it was completely different. And it, it was it's the first time I've actually had that straight as an away fan. And it's even stuck how many people did we make? Two hundred. And it, it was more than that, but it wasn't. It, it, it was it's, it's very aggressive policing yeah. in, in the street. Yeah, no, as, as well. soon as you stood up, people were running towards you and, you know, getting scared and all this carry on and saying, oh, sit down, sit down and all that, wasn't it? It was. But I mean, it was crazy, wasn't it? But Leeds has got a reputation, hasn't it? I know, for being a little bit a little bit like that. But yeah. and, and your, Who are your big rivals? Well, this year, well, my, the big rivals, in my, from my point of view, is York City, because they got relegated last season from the conference. Uh, so we're like the two biggest clubs in that in the conference north now. Um, so we've got the best two best grounds and teams. I can't come, believe you're non-league. That's teams, team comes to us and you know like people I don't know Chorley or Salford and teams like that who you know years and years ago when I first started sporting Stockport probably weren't even a team or were playing yeah. in a village yeah. park somewhere. Uh, so now they come to us and you know it's roles reversed. You know they're they've got some backing from some big names and teams who go full time. You know they've got a much more of a chance than we have. Cause we've just got you know we've got nothing now. Who's the best player I've ever played for you? So you're kind of star guy. Uh, Tommy Rowe, a few years back, was he went on to Wolves and a few other good clubs. McCullough Palmer. Carlton Palmer. He managed, you know, he wasn't he wasn't around playing then. Yeah, uh, Kevin Francis. Sure. Kevin Francis, yeah, 100 goals, a bit of a cult hero. I think all all teams have got a bit of a, a cult hero, haven't they, in the in the midst? And uh, Kevin was certainly one of ours. Kevin Francis, I guess. He went on to Birmingham. Was he? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he yeah. was uh, six foot seven, the big uh, big chap, uh, yeah. big tall boy. I mean, yeah. Graham, I don't think in, in, in general, like going to away game is. For me, when I've, I always haven't gone to many, but when I, when I do go to them, I mean, they're pretty much the pinnacle in any fan experience. You've never been to start away, no? I have. I've actually I, been to. Well, uh, 
the big, the big start casuals. I actually went to start strum school. So, oh God, uh, what the big bloody game, eh? The, the when I was did my national service. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, you asked. I did my when I did my national service. They had the relegation playoff, and I did my national service boot camp just close, quite close to start. So I went to see Stars Drum School. So this is way before Ronnie. So uh, what's the average um, attendance at a Norwegian? What's the biggest gate in Norway? Uh, you probably Rosenberg is close to twenty thousand. That's about. Um, is twenty thousand. I mean, if you take away. Um, Obviously, Celtic and Rangers, like the average gates are pretty much the same in, in Norway and Scotland. Which you'd imagine, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right, cool. Um, now, as I mean, going away is, is, is something different. And obviously, I think, you know, you, you took your, you took your girl, German girlfriend mm-hmm. to the here as well. I mean, bringing somebody in to an away game in Europe for the first time in any game, um, you know, it must be something. You know, what, what did she, she think about it? She, she's a basketball fan. Uh, so when, when it came to this kind of uh, <laughs> when it came to this kind of level of passion and stuff, she was just like she was filming everything because she was just totally blown away by it. And like uh, they arranged, there were three guys in the huddle board that had uh, messed up their flights and couldn't get back to Nuremberg Airport. So I said to them that we would drive them back, and so she was she was just like constantly kind of in stitches at the the kind of back and forth for the three guys in the back seat because they'd never been on the German autobahn before and you know you can go whatever speed you want so she was driving at like 200 kilometers an hour and they were just fucking terrified they were screaming and it, it, it was a pretty fun trip for her I think uh, she, her, her eyes opened we had the revs going on in the, the way back as well so because I was no, I was pretty drunk <laughs> what's that? No, you know, Kraft Faircon or Falco or I tried I, actually at one point after after uh, I think the Celtic Symphony was on I put on uh, the Das Autobahn uh, by Kerfork uh, and uh, Model as well and try try to get it going but no it, she wasn't into it either so no but for me that for me away trips are just something special like I think my first one was Blackburn and the, the Seville run and that was I mean I think there must have been about 15,000 of us in that that one stand behind the goals it was there was no there was no one sitting down because you just didn't have a space to sit down so I just love that kind of feeling of representing your your team abroad it's it's a really good feeling and obviously living in Germany I wear like Celtic tops every every couple of days and it's it's a really good feeling you just get people come up to you and asking you about it and stuff like that so but uh, I went to I went to the Classica in uh, 2010. We just got tickets from Touts at the stadium, and that was a really good away day experience as well because I'd never, obviously, I'd never been to such a big game like that. So that was that was really cool. I've been to see I've been to see St. Pauli twice. Nice. And, um, talk about a crowd of people who have no interest in football whatsoever. <laughs> um, it was it was terrific. Um, when the first time we went, uh, we saw it was Wolfsburg. Or was it Vedder? No, I think it was Wolfsburg. It was Steve McLaren managed Wolfsburg, didn't he? Aye, aye. Yeah, it was um, Wolfsburg, and Manjukic was playing, and uh, a few others. It was, it was, it was terrific. It was a really good game. Um, but yeah, the crowd were very much more interested in uh, smoking weed than getting drunk. And uh, yeah, why the why the bloody hell not, Chris? You know? Hey, hey listen, right. when Hamburg? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. <laughs> So we have a couple of other articles around, you know, the European football. 
Um, you got Thomas Brolin, love him. Should have had that. Parma, night four, what a team. I was, I, was, I mean, well, no, I'm, I'm, team, wasn't it? Oh, that was a great team, wasn't it? Terrific. Uh, Ken Anderson, one of my heroes. Oh, let's, let's you don't like. <laughs> so. No. <laughs> so. Martin Dallin. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, they had a great team. We were talking about the '94 team, uh, the World Cup in '94, uh, which is a fantastic team. Um, no, but you have a couple other articles about European football in the supplement this month. You have uh, Matt Ryan, um, our stat guru. Everybody needs an American stat guru. Uh, looking at the uh, Champions League stats for, for Celtic so far this season, we have another Irish correspondent, uh, Ryan Clark. Um, Clarky, love a Clarky cap. Ryan Clarky. Ryan's been with us for for years and years. Well, to be Maybe fair, I'm the been... one who scouted him about six years ago, so don't take it. Okay. You know, I'm, I got that fresh talent. I mean, I find him really dull now. I find him so. <laughs> but you... he seems like a really nice person. He's not Dave. I'm <laughs> really, I'm jesting, Ryan. Jesting. But you should read his article, which I'm sure you've done. I've read them all. Uh, already. He talks about the night that. Uh, AC Milan came to Athlone Town in a small Irish city in 1975-1976 UEFA Cup. There's a couple of great uh, pictures uh, on that article as well online. Yeah, I think uh, I love that, the article there just for me, to me it like it talks a lot about European football and that the glamorous names and things and how that only happens nowadays. But years ago, you know, you could get drawn against Milan yeah. and have those games. But you know that was you know. You know things about the community helping to build the, st- you know, redo the stadium and those kind of things, and just simple things. But it, 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 there's there's a great picture there about these, you know, Italian superstars coming off a bus in the middle of a mud field <laughs> and just just getting their, you know, very expensive shoes uh, and dirty. I've got I've got a Serie A video from it's one of the Channel Four produced videos from like 1994, 93 or 94. I may have actually been the 93, 94 season, and it's Giuseppe Signori who at that time was one of the great great strikers in the world when he was playing for Lazio. And they were talking, um, he was getting interviewed by James Richardson, and he said, uh, it's unbelievable we may qualify for the UEFA Cup. And he was talking about the UEFA Cup and qualifying for European football like it was this unbelievable achievement, which it was back then. And, you know, the, the opportunity to play in European football is... It was at that point such an amazing thing. If you switch forward to English football and how they treat qualifying for Europe, a lot of teams in the English Premier League treat European football like an afterthought, yeah. like it's a pain in the arse, like they can't be ar- like Arsenal putting out a complete reserve team out into Europa League. Now, don't get me wrong, they're doing well in Europa League, but it's kind of like, you know, with all due respect, you know. Know your place. You've qualified for Europa League. You're a, you're a Europa League team. So and, and this is what I compete. I, I would say this is still a little bit in Scotland because this has really annoyed me a few times. With you know, especially uh, you know St Johnston again this season, going out to uh, a team from Latvia. Um, Aberdeen's got some decent results the last few years, but they felt they've fallen at the same the it, same. It, what, what, why is, four it's, years in a row? Is, is there a lack of preparation? Because certainly, why do you strive all season to? Be, Get a fourth. It's, menta- it's it's ment- sorry, jump in here. No, but go. It's mentality. See see Brendan Rodgers and how he's transformed Stuart Armstrong, um, McGregor. A lot of those players have been transformed, and it's nothing to do with ability. It's to do with mentality. It's to do with him basically telling them. You just Martin O'Neill was unbelievable at it. Taking a, and this is what I was talking about like earlier on. Taking a player who's maybe an. an, an 
an average player, maybe a you know decent player, and telling them you're a world beater. That's what guys like Derek McInnes don't have. That's what you can't teach. That's what Brian Clough was, yeah. and you know Derek McInnes, the modern day football manager is more akin and more focused on tactics and preparation. And obviously that's all really important and I'm not underplaying that at all. But very few managers can take a below a bunch of below average players and make them play better than they are. It's just not a thing that happens as much, with the exception of a guy like Michael O'Neill, who I'm not actually a fan of. And it's not that I'm not a fan of him. I, I'm a fan of him. I think he's a, I think he's a really good football manager. I don't want him to be the Scotland manager, but that's for different reasons. But what he did with Shamrock Rovers when he got them qualified yeah. for the Europa League, Shamrock Rovers, Aberdeen, who's the bigger team? Who's got the bigger budget? Who's got the bigger? Who's given? Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's. I, I, I think you're, you're completely correct in terms of um, our expectation now. Other than Celtic, our expectation, like my expectation for all Scottish teams, is that they will never ever qualify for the group stages of a tournament, and they kind of deserve not to. It it kind of reminds me of like the way that England have performed in tournaments up until now. Like they think that they are the team that should take the game to the opposition, and I think Gareth Southgate's got this kind of uh, idea that maybe we should just kind of sit back and be pragmatic. And I think when it goes when it comes to uh, Scottish teams in uh, Europe, they see that they're playing a team from Latvia or Estonia or Malta or whatever, and think we should take the game to them. But if maybe they should just try and like kind of <laughs> feel out the opposition before they do that, you know, like maybe just think to themselves, we're not that good. Maybe we should sit back and see what happens. Graham, four years in a row, Aberdeen have went out in the third round, and there's only one team really that should have put them out. It's when they 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 put, was it um, Sociedad. Mm-hmm. They drew Sociedad, and Sociedad were always going to be Aberdeen. Aberdeen actually put up a really good fight, but they put them out. Fair enough. But all these other teams, I'm not saying Aberdeen should beat. I'm not saying Aberdeen should turn up and beat teams. What I'm saying is, when you get to the the fourth year at the same level, you put a decent performance away from home, and you still lose. But the the, the point I'm making is, it's obviously it's easier to destroy something than it is to create something, and I think that. The teams that Aberdeen have been up against have just been settling in to, to 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 destroy, and Aberdeen have been trying too hard to be kind of the creative force. And I think the teams in Scotland aren't that good; they're not good enough to be a creative force on a European stage, other other than Celtic, obviously. And they just need to kind of take that and accept the fact, accept yourself, and kind of defend for a while and just see what happens. You know, the Norwegian teams do it. You know, like getting back so to what the- you're saying is. In essence, they should check themselves before they wreck themselves. Pretty much, uh, pretty much. It's, it's <laughs> just... <laughs> I mean, uh, Paddy touched upon it there in terms of the way the Euro Cups are, the, the format of them. I mean, the Champions League in, its, in itself, you know, you, you still get people, and, and, and my article just kind of has looks at this in terms of people saying, oh, the Champions League should be for champions. Uh, you know, everything was better before. Uh, and I basically set up uh, a European Cup this year, looking at what what if it was the same format, you know, if it's just the, the league winner um, uh, that went through. Um, and the good news is that Celtic gets to the to the last sixteen of, of that one and, and loses to Chelsea. But 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 Graham, in in terms of in terms of now, we can never go back to the way the European Cup was. And I don't, personally, I don't think I would want to And now. But there's also, there's this 
push from especially the bigger clubs in Europe that you know they want to be guaranteed more and more places. They want more and more of the money. And already, I think next season, you know, that there's another game for Celtic to get through, and, and you know, it'll be even tougher for Celtic to qualify. If, if you were in charge, Graham, how would you format the European Cup now? Would you have more smaller teams? Would you would you do something different, or would you, as you should, bring back the Cup Winners' Cup? <laughs> no, like for me, the actual uh, format of the competition is not a problem. Like these these teams are the better teams, and they're the better teams because they perform over a five year period in the competition, and that means you should get more places, in my opinion. The problem with it is that we're not playing the same game. The English teams and the Scottish teams are not playing the same game because of money. So the, for me, the actual format of the competition is not the problem. It's the fact that in the domestic leagues, they're getting far too much money for other teams to compete. Like if the format was the same and everyone was getting similar amounts yeah. of money, then over the next 5, 10, 15 years, you would see that the, maybe the English teams wouldn't have four teams in it. Maybe like Croatian teams and all these different countries would move in. But they just don't have the finances to to compete. The, the, the actual competition is set up in a way in which everyone can compete if you start performing. But you can't start performing unless you have the money. I Do you know what I would do? If Christian had any class and asked me the same question, be asked you instead. No, but I was going to, but well, you, know, you jumped in again. You know, how about you focus on the talent here? Um, no, um, we'll get to Paddy. Yeah, that's true. Um, the issue I have is, um, I honestly, see if you get rid of seeding, See if you literally had one bowl, one big bowl, and you stuck your fucking hand in there, and you like pulled the ball out. No, but like, see this whole thing about, okay, um, if you're from the same, there's going to be four English teams, but they all have to be kept separate, and there's going to be four German teams, they're all going to be kept separate. Just fucking rattle a big bowl and fucking put your hand in and pull them out. Oh, you know, the whole thing about Seaton Cape, we all know it came about because Juventus and threw away Real Madrid in the European Cup in 84 or 85, whenever it was. Not 85, obviously. I think it was 87. And um, one of them had to get knocked out and it was such a tragedy. Tragedy. So they rigged it. They rigged it. So how about you unrig it? How about that, UEFA.com? So you would just have unseeded groups? I would have, in all, in all seriousness. One big bloody ball. Well, what I, what I, what I think would be terrific is... You go, you go, you go one of two ways, right? You bring back the cup winners' cup, okay? Bring back the cup winners' cup, um, and you have the winner, the champions going into the just so just bring back the cup winners' cup, so yeah. the, the more teams have got opportunity to play European football. Or you have one competition that lasts the entire season. It starts in it starts August and ends in May. It's there's no seeding, and it's knockout. And just have a just knock out, just have every round keep going and going. And so you could get to a situation where Celtic in the first round could get Barcelona and could be out in the first round and you only get one, two games of European football. That's just your luck. And that's that harsh? A, yeah. one European, one competition, every team's in it, there's no seeding. There's your fucking football pub. Paddy, Gal is going the very dogmatic way there, you know, and he's, it's not going to stop. But in terms of, is it. A losing battle this because there's always going to be this threat from the big teams that's saying to UEFA, unless you give us a little bit more money and it makes it a little bit easier for us, we're just going to walk away and do our own league. Super League. Yeah, I think that's always been on the well. been a, you know, the talk, hasn't it, ever since the new format came along for the Champions League. I think it's been, been threatening. Um, 
I think there is still a, quite a divide over the even like the bigger European continental kind of uh, leagues. Some of them, some of them go through spells, don't they? A few years ago, with Spain and you know the English Premier League had a, a big thing 15 years or so ago, didn't they? With lots of teams getting to the you know the knockout the semi-finals of those groups, but that comes and goes, doesn't it? So yeah. there's never really a you know a pattern for too long. Yeah. Um, but that's just the money going up and down, though, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's just yeah. You know, Manchester City um, not really being anything, and then but, all of a sudden, two guys in in Qatar decide that they mm-hmm. want to buy football. And, and this, this, this is a good point in mentioning City there, Gal, because I think the English clubs, a lot of them, it seems even on big European nights, the crowd kind of turns up and goes, Ugh. and it's almost like it's it's a Premier League atmosphere, which is not a very good one. I think you still got places like like Anfield. You can do a really good European night. In terms of it, but in terms of, I mean, going to see the Celtic Bayern Munich game. I mean, if 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 that kind of atmosphere, I and mean, we had a good discussion on the WhatsApp here, and whether we want the Celtic wants to be like a tourism and, and people want to come there to see the atmosphere as, as you know as a, as a way of just you know football tourism. But I don't think there's a there's a stadium in anywhere in European football on a European night that has that atmosphere. And, and Graham, surely that must be worth something, even in, in branding terms or even in you know, all these you know, modern football language in terms of having clubs like Celtic and some other ones that can at least bring a bit of you know, atmosphere and, and, and life into the competition. I was uh, examining a, a half German, half Italian student uh, last week. And I think Examining not physical form like his mind. I was examining his mind, and uh, I had my hoops on because that's how professional I am. And uh, he said to me after the exam was over, he said to me, uh, "Celtic fans are the, the greatest supporters." So this guy who's basically living in the kind of deepest, darkest Bavaria half German, half Italian, Inter Milan fan. And he he knew it, you know what I mean? Like, he, he got the message. And I was just like, yeah, yeah, you should come to Celtic Park sometime. So, it's all over the place, man. Like, in Bavaria, they, everyone everyone talks about it. There was, there was an article in Build about how, I think this, a German had gone over and it was just ranting about how it was like going back in time to the days of passion and stuff like that. So, they know it, everyone knows about it, man. And surely Celtic needs to be clever here because also. Do what? I'm sorry, jump in. Do what? If we're not winning the football pitch, it doesn't really matter. Like, don't get me wrong. The, 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 I, you know, Parkhead's great, but we don't have. We, you don't. You honestly don't want us to become footballing tourist, a football tourist trap thing where come and see Celtic play, come and see the the working class people in their their box caring about their team the way that you know the corporate. People don't. Have, we don't have anything here. And there's Sorry. been plenty of times, like. And, and but that's what Gal is saying. There, Graham, is essentially what's been happening in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's, it's tourism now, and, and there's there's day trippers and the atmosphere. Especially and, in Liverpool. Well, it's it's probably Liverpool's got a, a bit left, but. Um, the Beatles. <laughs> Um, this guy is so he's so rigid. He's, like, he's like Norwegian woods. And <laughs> here virtually as well. Um, but Graham, that's do you will that ever be a an issue with Celtic or should we just as I think just embrace that status and that you know the famousness of, of 
being, you know, having a great atmosphere. I think it, need, it needs to be a balance as well. We can't just be the whipping boys that put on a good show. We can't be like, what was it, uh, Republic of Ireland in the last, was it the last Euros or the last World Cup where people were saying that they just went for a good sing song? We can't be that, man. We need to be, because there were times under like the, the last season under Neil Lennon, uh, I think it was the last season under Gordon Strachan, where the, the atmosphere at Champions League nights at Celtic Park wasn't great. Like it was, we were playing Alborg and it was it was an awful oh. match. Oh Jesus! Aye, so like, Jesus. there needs to be when the game when we are playing well, then we can then we can promote this. But we need to have we need to have both of them. We need to have the the, the football team on the park and the supporters in the in the, in the stadium. I think the supporters though um, are starting to understand what Rogers is doing. And starting to understand the philosophy. Now, my father, um, you know, grew up in the, the the heyday with the Lions and everything. His he still got that mentality of get the fucking ball at the box. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like get it, fuck, get it away. Um, which is fine. I completely understand that. He was like that at the start. Now he's starting to understand. You know, playing the ball from the back, coming out with the ball. Um, you know, being in tight situations to kind of make space for your midfield and runners and stuff. He he's starting to understand that a little bit more because as and it's a new thing for Scotland. It's not kind of it's not. It's it, it might have been a progressive thing that's went on, in a, you know, from a European standpoint over the last you know ten years. But from a still Scottish football, it's new in perspective. So I think the fans as a whole are starting to become less scared. Because I know the first game against PSG when we were playing the ball about the back, you could hear it. The crowd were getting nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, and listen, we're going to make mistakes. The style of football Celtic play, we're going to concede goals. But in the long run, this is what I said about Ronnie Dyle, so fucking God forgive me. Um, short-term gain, long, um, short-term pain for long-term gain. And that's what this Champions League group is. Because from a short-term perspective, we are going to take the odd pounding. But long-term... We're now hopefully Touchwood about to qualify for the Europa League, so we're, in my opinion, we're right on schedule. In fact, I think we're ahead of schedule. I would say we're ahead of schedule in terms of where we are. So it's it's look it's looking. Do you know what? It's looking bloody rosy, Parkhead. That's what I think. <laughs> it's the ninety minute cynic, and I'm being and, very positive. And it's a very good point to end our European part of the pod. I, I will mention Andy Dugan's. Um, Andy Dugas wrote a book about the Lisbon Lions, and we've been having exclusive extracts from that book all through the year. It's, uh, a, ter- it's a terrific book. Um, and Andy's uh, a terrific, terrific writer. He wrote a book about... Um, Robert De Niro as well. Oh, it's yeah. Scorsese as well, but also the 97-98 uh, season, um, which we might have him on the pod. Yeah, no, we'll definitely get him as well. We'll get, we'll get Graham on for that as well, because I know, obviously, you're the same age as me, aren't you? Aye, aye. That was, right, so, that was my second, second, third, second or third season, I think. Yeah, well, I had a season ticket at Hamden, but whatever, mate. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. so, so, so we'll have Andy on as well, uh, but this edition's extra is about the semi-final. So uh, will Celtic make the final? You'll have to read the supplements <laughs> and, 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 and find out. Did Celtic make the final in 1967? <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs>
in terms of moving on from European football to, to international football, so so Dan McGowan, um, the hipster of the group, you know, he I, yeah, I know. Um, but he's, he's written a, a hipster piece called "I Don't Support Scotland." Please don't hate me. Uh, in terms of essentially, he doesn't really find it to join in supporting Scotland now. Patrick, um, you're you're from Middle England, very okay. much so. Um, but I, I think what, what Dan's saying here in terms of not supporting you, your national team or don't feel a, a affinity with it, that's probably something I would think would be more likely in a bigger country like, like England. Because for yourself, you've never really been a big England fan, have you? No, no. Um, my dad, his um, parents, were, um, his mother was Irish and dad Polish. So me and my brother were brought up with my dad's his, uh, his views on football of not supporting England. Um, it was never something I challenged. It just uh, was a thing, really. And, uh, and as the, from school days, I got a lot of stating saying, oh, why are they supporting them? Why not this? And why, 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 Oh, you're why, a communist. Why? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> all the usual stuff. But, I mean, I get it as much as in England as Scotland, so I don't know if that's necessarily... Did you, do you still get it in terms of oh, yeah, not being bothered say, by England? Yeah, they say, oh, you're just doing it because you're different. And then... Then I, when England play Scotland, I'm like, oh, I like Scotland because I was there for four years. And they're yeah. like, what about the rest of your life you've been in England? So, it's, you know, it's a lot of simple kind of conversations that they people just don't kind of get. And it's, yeah. you know, I don't want, you know, I don't, then whoever England are playing, I don't, you know, buy the, the team shirt or go crazy. But it's just do, one of those things. Do you, you think supporting England is in a way a bit more linked to like a, an ugly nationalism? Is, is it easy to England maybe to be a bit more, let's say like right wing in terms of having that mentality of, you know, Englishness? Oh, well, yeah, it, it does get pointed with that, doesn't it? Because, you know, you see like the Irish fans with their, you know, with the flag and the Scottish flag and then they put the English flag up there and everyone's like, oh, well, what's the difference? And, it, you know, that's yeah, a, that's you know, <laughs> but people always say, oh, why can't we put the English flag up or the St. George, you know, the cross, whatever. People are like, you know, they can't quite see why. I think in Britain, obviously, because as a ruling nation, years gone by, but not that's not. It's quite, probably, it's probably a wider question. Whereas, you know, patriotism and nationalism in Scotland, Ireland, Wales is seen as uh, more, you know, joyful thing. You know, yeah, it's it's a positive it was thing. challenging the. Whereas in England, it's, it's, it's yeah, a negative yeah. one. Whereas as England, as, as the ruling, you know, yeah. years ago. That, that was always like uh, putting people down, kind of. Yeah, because we were discussing this in in the break. I mean, Norway and Scotland are very similar countries in terms of the size. I've always been a huge Norway fan, not just football, but in, in any kind of sports, especially the Winter Olympics. But I think you're the same yeah. in terms of, you know, it's probably in, in a country the size of Scotland, supporting a national team is something a bit more positive. I don't know how to actually... Put my words on it, but it, it seems, you know, it's you know just seen as a more friendly thing. I don't know, or the patriotism is is, is a bit. More, I don't know, laid back maybe. Uh, two points. First point: when Rowdy Roddy Piper entered <laughs> uh, the Battle Royale um, 1990 in London, that uh, when when I used to watch WWF when I was a wee guy, when Roddy Piper used to come in. People would have their favourite wrestlers, but I I was always like Roddy Piper was like a Scottish guy. He kind of represents Scotland. I always was. I always used to get really nervous watching that, even though it's choreographed violence. It's still 
a thing. Um, I'm not going to debate on that, but um, there's, I, there's I, different podcasts for these kind yeah, of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Triple Threat Wrestling Podcast. Um, but no, like I wa- I watched Roddy Piper, and I was like, you know, I get really nervous. Um, because I wanted them to do well. Now, that might sound ridiculous, but it's just the way it was. When my father grew up, and I mentioned this to these guys when we, before we came on air, when my father grew up in the 60s, in the 70s, in the 60s specifically, um, the, you know, the Scotland fans used to boo the Celtic players. Um, if you look at the number of caps the Lisbon Lions got, why didn't Scotland just play the Lisbon Lions as their team? Um, the, you know, some of the greatest footballers are produced by this country, and a handful of them have got more than ten caps. Um, so my dad grew up and he didn't support Scotland because Celtic players get booed, uh, certain level of sectarianism at the matches. Um, but that switched on its head, um, and now if you go to a Scotland match, I think maybe it's to do with the you know the. Let's be honest. A lot of Rangers fans they're very pro-union. They want to be still part of the United um, United Kingdom, etc. And almost supporting Scotland, I think they see that as an admission that we could be our own country. I think there's a certain level of that. Um, I, I, I support people supporting Scotland is a, a thankless task. It's a, it's an absolutely thankless task um, because, frankly. When you think we're about to go over the hill, that horizon, we get a terrible manager, or we get a really run a run of bad players, or run a bad results due to injury sends off, etc. And it never quite clicks. But having grown up, when we went to Euro '92, we went to it went to for my first memory of Scotland is oh, the 1990 World Cup with Roy Roy Aitken standing in the tunnel um, with the Swedish um, with the Swedish team. And it wasn't that broadcast on TV, but it's on YouTube where he shouts, "Let's get into these cunts." <laughs> um, very, and, very Michael Wistie. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, but I remember the ninety nine World Cup, and I remember the, every, it was so incredible. Euro ninety two was a bit of a damp squib for everybody. Uh, Euro ninety six was phenomenal. France ninety eight was sensational, and that was it. And I almost kind of feel like there, there's generations of Scotland fans who will never quite experienced that but back to your original point I think as as Pat so eloquently put it I think that in Scotland support in the way I see it and the way I think a lot of people see it supporting the national team is bright and it's a sign of look we look what we can do on our own we we are our own people we deserve our own chance and because of that sort of hint towards the national movement um, especially in recent times you won't get so many ones Graham I mean like me, you moved abroad. Do you feel you become more Scottish when you live abroad? Do you, do you, do you find yourself more specifically Scottish as opposed to British? I was just thinking that this when uh, when Gal was talking there. Like, uh, I remember rushing home from school to see, I think it was Scotland, Costa Rica in Italian 90 and just being excited by it. But when, when I moved to, to Germany, the only thing I felt was more Celtic. Like I, I, I cons- nowadays I consume everything Celtic TV put up, and I need to I need to look at everything. And I think growing up, I just started regarding myself as a Glaswegian. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, jump in. I'm exactly the same. First and I, foremost, I, Glaswegian. I'm, yeah, I'm Glaswegian before I'm anything. And it's, it's sorry to jump in uh, <laughs> myself as well. I think I kind of think of myself the same way. I know I'm 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 obviously. I've been in Scotland for 16 years, but I lived in Glasgow the 10, last 10, 11 years. And I've, in a way, I probably identify myself more as a Glaswegian now 
than, than the Scottish, or maybe because I'm also, also Norwegian, so it makes it easier. But God, no, no one speaks. People in Glasgow speak differently from the whole of the rest of Scotland. People in Glasgow think differently from the whole of the rest of Scotland. When you hear a, a Scottish accent, oh, Ken, but you can be fucking Aberdeen or Edinburgh. <laughs> fucking it all makes it all, it's all noise to me. Um, but Glasgow is um, just own people, own uniqueness that's um, built on immigrants, that it's built on lots of different cultural. Um, lots of different cultures coming together in a way that other parts of Scotland, um, Scotland aren't. It's just the best. So, 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 Graham, do you then in, in in Germany when you speak about football, do you present yourself, identify yourself as a Celtic rather than a Scotland fan or somebody oh, you know def- fan from Scotland? Definitely, yeah. Like, like uh, Gal was saying about the his dad and the booing of Celtic fan uh, Celtic players. I went to a, a Scotland Denmark friendly. And at Ibrox, it must have been in the nineties, and Jackie McNamara was booed onto the park by Scotland fans. So it's not something that went away. Like the, I mean, it's probably a way now that most of the Scotland yeah. team are Celtic players, but it was it was still pretty much up until I left Scotland. Well, Ryan Jack got booed on, booed for all every one of his touches when he played against Holland. But that's a, that's an Aber- I mean, that's Aberdeen thing. You know what I mean? Like that's very is it, much. Is it though? <laughs> is it though? I like. <laughs> I like to think it's because of who he is. <laughs> in, in terms of, I mean, German, Paddy was saying there, like in, in bigger countries like England, you might have a, a bigger group of people who's not that bothered about the national team. What's it like in Germany? I mean, you know, it's, you know, spotless history about nationalism and, and things mm-hmm. in Germany. So, in terms of, it's not like the Germans have done anything bad. No, right? I mean, <laughs> what, what could go wrong if it's, it's too much patriotism in, in Germany? But is it is the is the German team? Popular or is there pockets of going? Nah, I'm you know I'm a Stuttgart fan. I'm a, I'm a Hamburg fan. Well, like, than the, the kind of German German nationalism was kind of reborn in 2006 with the the, the World Cup here when the, the, it. I, I've heard people saying saying to me that it was it felt okay to fly the German flag again. Like it felt okay yeah. to wave a German flag again in 2006. But nowadays it's like. One thing I hate about international football, and this is the reason why I just... See, see the last World Cup, the one in Brazil, and when the camera would go on, the the crowd, and they would kind of be looking disappointed because the game was happening, and then they would see the camera was on them, and they would start jumping up and down. I absolutely despise that mentality, and that's a lot of the German national supporters. They're supporters of the, the kind of people that go along to see what it's going to be like. They're not, maybe... For me, they're not real football fans. If I was if I was at a Celtic match and we were losing and the camera came on me, I wouldn't even look at it. You know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't I wouldn't celebrate the fact I was on TV. That the people that do that are not real football fans, and for me, that's most of the German crowd. I I, I agree with that. I think that's a really good point. Back to what um, Daniel's saying. Daniel's twenty one. Daniel's never seen Scotland be successful ever. So. I don't know. See if Scotland were better. I don't know if he would have the same sort of apathy. I can understand his apathy, and I can understand. And by the way, here's here's the other thing. Like um, I used to eat, sleep, and drink football in general. Um, that has dipped. Yeah. Oddly, my love of Celtic has consistently. It's my love of Celtic is just everlasting it's like legitimately in my blood and when Celtic lose a game I'm thinking about it until the next one it it haunts me Um, but so my my love of Celtic has never waned my love of football has 
because of what it's became and my love of international football. If it's not, a, I, I watch every Scotland game. I'm not going to lie, but see, other than that, I don't watch any of it anymore. Yeah. I, there's, you know, the last Euros, I watched most of the games just because you're on. They were on, yeah, but I didn't. Whereas before, I would have actually set out to watch mm. them. No, I, I think you're right. Now, slightly retracing our steps, but I think that's maybe one of the eras was Scottish League can actually become more popular because there's a there's still a I don't know almost a innocence or a credibility or something more genuine about the Scottish League. Yeah. In, in terms of so many other ones, and but I think you're that's right. What Neil Lennon, sorry, Jonathan, that's what Neil Lennon was saying in his yeah. defence of the Scottish League. There's a, a certain honesty to it that yeah. you know the English football maybe does it. English football has sold its soul to Sky and BT, and um, and nobody wants to buy the soul of Scottish football. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fuck it, fuck it. <laughs> no, but I, I think in terms of you know I grew up and you know when when Norway qualified for their first World Cup since 1938 in, in 1994, you know obviously since 13 then. So again. I grew up in, in the glory period of, of Norwegian yeah. football. Um, and, and that's your glory period? That's our glory period. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, uh, let me tell about oh the real... Oh, my God. The glory period. Those are the days. Those are the days. Sorry. And then we had our back. Henning Berg. He's our reset. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Oh, he's the fucking man, I'm the, telling you. The, the real glory period was beating uh, Germany in the 1936 uh, Olympics uh, <laughs> in, in the crowd. Bronze medal. I'll be honest with so. you, I didn't realise football was played at the Olympics until now, so uh, good for you. Good for you. <laughs> many, European cups have, many European Cups of Norwegian football got one? One final? No, we don't have any finals. We have a quarter final. Oh, Malmo, Malmo's Swedish. They are right, Swedish. When, uh, when uh, Trevor Francis scored against Malmo, didn't he? His debut? I don't know. He did. Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, Dan would have been here tonight um, to defend himself, but apparently he's having... probably listening to Arcade Fire. No, apparently having Fire having dinner with his girlfriend her, on her birthday was more important than since I talked about. One thing I would say is that obviously Scotland is a lot more complicated than, than other countries because of the 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 Catholic Protestant thing. You know what I mean? Like, I think. More people would get behind it if it was if it wasn't for that, and I think we would have that kind of Welsh thing, that Norwegian thing, that kind of Icelandic thing of everyone going against it if it wasn't for that problem. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. I, I honestly, I just back to if we were any good. <laughs> I, I think I, no, I really do. I think if we, if if we were better, like Euro '96 is a prime example, or France '98 is a prime example of the entire country. Get, or actually, do you know what? I'll, I'll do one better. Do you know the only time in recent memory that I can think of the whole country buzzing was when we played Italy at Hampden, and if we won that match, we would have qualified for yeah. the World Cup. We had a group that was Italy, who'd got to the who'd won World Cup winners, France, who'd got to the final, and fucking um, uh, Ukraine, who'd finished first. How the hell do you get that group? And we got to that one match, and the entire country was buzzing. And that's my point. If we actually have a good product on the park, people, if you play for good, people will come and watch you. It goes back to the Celtic thing of the Champions League nights. You have to have the team on the park and, the, the, and then you'll have the fans in the, in the stadium as well. That's an excellent point, man. Um, Scotland don't have a manager at the moment. Paddy, in terms of... There's, there's some people who think, you know, thinks that the national team should have a coach from its own country. 
is you know in, in terms of your opinion like, oh, is it you don't really care about England anyway well no but obviously that's why I'd be able to use examples say you know when they had Capello and those guys yeah when things weren't going very well you know it was the easiest thing to do wasn't it to say oh it's because he can't galvanise the team or because he's a foreigner yeah or talk to the press properly or you know go to watch the games that you don't want to see to look at the players that you might not know about very well or whatever um, so it's always an easy option and I think I can't see it happening anytime soon again for English football. But but hopefully <laughs> hopefully England's mistrust of anything foreign won't lead to any big political decisions that might. Well, they'd rather keep with someone say White Southgate, who will, you know will give a chance to rather than you know maybe a, but, but, a foreign manager again. But Graham, I, I I don't think I've ever heard ever that Germany has ever ever had a foreign manager. Is is there a point in there without being too xenophobic that national teams as it should be picking the best? national players should they have a you know a coach from that country as well i don't for me i don't think it's i don't think it's too important i think there is an the, there is an aspect of it where for me most of national football is about motivation and that's why i've always said that i would have someone like graham Souness as a scotland oh, manager just away you fucking goal no but just 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 hear me out it's mostly you're, you're getting the players for a couple of days. It's not about tactics for most oh. most part. It's about motivating players and getting basically getting players up for the game. He'll get that Scotland flag and he'll plant it yeah. in the <laughs> centre circle. Are you, Wembley. are you joking? But Gal. but but. manager. No. Games. But that that was obviously in the past when Grimson this was actually a football manager, not a pundit. But for me, like. Germany doesn't doesn't have foreign coaches because they have a lot of good German coaches, and, then, and for England, I mean, who are you going to appoint? Alan Pardew? I would I would love it. Like Kevin Keegan, so I would love it if England appointed someone like Alan Pardew. I think that'd be amazing. Um, I, I, in terms of Scotland, um, next Scotland manager, yeah. For me, for you, who would the next Scotland manager? Who should it be? Yeah. Um, Philip Trussier. Yeah, yeah. Philip Trussier is a, a phenomenal manager who gets the best out of um, players, or maybe not. He, he gets players drilled. He gets players. Um, lit, he's qualified for four different World Cups yeah. with four different teams. He knows how to qualify, and he. I, I think he'd be great. Maybe not. Firstly, that would never happen. They're going to go down the Scot. They've approached Michael O'Neill. Michael O'Neill, I think, is a is a good manager. No question about it. No question about it. No doubt about it. But there's not there's not a quarter of the um, the pressure. Is, 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 is Morocco is taken now? Like they said, Trisian? Yeah. Is it? No, I don't think so. Well, we get to that. But I think if you're talking about on paper, like on paper, this manager to take this team would do better. But you're you're talking about a situation where you've got someone coming in that has to deal with the press, has to deal with the fans that are going to think who is this foreign person, has to deal with players that are going to be like. Chris Commons and Charlie McGrew where when Ronnie Dyla came in. So for that for that reason I just don't think that would work. Like you're just I think, I think, like, sorry to jump in. I think it's different because the fact is if he's your Scott if he's your national team manager and you've got a limited amount if you're if you're at you know twenty nine, you have to buy into it. I'm not saying that's the reason just to pick a guy because you have to buy into it. But you have to buy into it. The fact is Lars Lagerback Got Iceland to the World Cup um, to to the Euros, 
and he's now the manager of Norway. And he's shite. And he's shite. Now, people turned... I'm sure... I don't know what the, the kind of thought process was behind it in Norway. Shite one. But people were looking at him thinking <laughs> he, he, he'd limited resources at Iceland. Yeah. Look what he's done with a, quite a group of players who aren't as talented as ours. Let's bring him over. That's what people are... That's what they're going to do with Michael O'Neill. Yeah, essentially saying, oh, if you could do that with, with that a lot, he might as well do did, that. did Michael O'Neill not get... Was it Shamrock Rovers to, like, the um, Europa League group stage at some point as well? I'm, I'm not I'm not saying that Michael O'Neill isn't a good manager. That's absolutely but not what I'm saying. he's no Graham Sinus. That's, that's what we're saying here, Graham. He's not very... <laughs> but no, I, I just think that... Listen, Thomas Tuchel is there. He needs a project. Double T... Again, for these types of managers, you need to be having players around you for like weeks on end. You need someone that's going to take a player, a group of players for two or three days and instill what they need to instill and motivate what they need to motivate. Yeah. Look, look, look what Brendan Rodgers done in a very short period of time. I, I, think, I, I think we've got a talented pool of players. I think people consistently downplay our league our clubs and our players. The Scotland squad is a talented bunch. There are some holes, there are places we need to grow, absolutely. But the fact is, if you've got Kieran Tierney in your team, the World Cup is should be what you're aiming for. And I'm talking about the fucking final. I was just, I was just like to say that I wasn't talking about Grimsonis at the moment. I was talking about... <laughs> oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Backpedalling here. I'm, I was talking... It's, it's unbelievable. Because someone like Grimsonis is equivalent of like Alex McLeish. And Alex McLeish had a good impact at Scotland. Walter Smith had a good oh, impact at Scotland. Listen, listen to me, man. You can backpedal all you want, Mr. Glaswegian. But you're a big, <laughs> you're a big fan of Graham Souness. You've made it known. God love you. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jim McGinn, maybe? Well, he was a bit about Scottish football, but he didn't last very long there. And he's got, he's got a good gig at Stockport. Well, yeah, he follows up with everybody anyway. So Is that your manager? Yeah, yeah. Oh, how's he doing? Well, we had a good year last year, but we sold two of our best players in the summer, so we're just kind of rebuilding again. But Paddy actually came up to, to Glasgow to see Motherwell away at Celtic. Oh, yeah. yeah. When he made no, no. Yeah, it's a great game. Oh, yeah, yeah. Speaking about KT, we have another left-back in the room. Um, this guy's a left-back? He is a left-back. He's never been left-back anyway. He's if, usually... If, if you actually... Left-back in the changing rooms. <laughs> But uh, I, you know, I, I, that was only joking. I, know, I, I don't usually say nice words to Paddy to his face, but you should really go and, and read his column, uh, stories from a reserve team left back. Um, Patrick, left back on the Copman Top reserve team. What, what league are you in now? Oh, we're in reserve reserve league A of the York Minster Engineering League. Yeah. It's, uh, How's it going? This high profile. Uh, we've uh, won one, drew one, lost three. So it's a bit of a struggle. But I've only played two games this season. So. I mean, and, and you're from you know. The, the village of of Cop and Top Cop, as Cop, it, yeah, also yeah, we know. Yeah. Um, born there, grew up there, played left back there your whole life. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's somewhere like, you know I can't see myself playing anywhere else now. It's just one of those things, you know. You you have a nice relationship with the centre backs, then you where to go, moving up, and you don't have to hold the line; they'll do it for you, and just say move along a bit, and then you've got your left midfielder there to play a nice ball down the line and things like that. So, and, and especially if you play amateur football, left back. Nobody's expecting you to be any good, is that? <laughs> well, yeah, because as soon as you put in a few tackles and uh, people see you, well, actually, this guy's getting about a bit and trying his best, then uh, people are quite complimentary most of the time. But I, I do recommend people go and read Paddy's columns. It's all about playing football on the lowest possible level. You play on the You know, you meet the guys on a Friday night for a drink and then you play but, with them on the Saturday and then. You know, yeah. that, again, going to the base level of galvanising people and just kind of 
knowing people on the pitch, like it can be any level of football. Yeah. And that's how O'Neill did his thing at Celtic and other teams. You know, that's how, you know, some of the managers who get into the players and get to that kind of... Yeah, I can't believe you just compared equipment to reserves to Celtic. <laughs> but no, absolutely. I mean, the stories are, are hilarious as well. But I mean, Graham, in terms of amateur football or recreational football in Germany, is it is, is it a big thing? Do, do people actually play football or in terms of that kind of level? Do people play football in Germany? Is what we're <laughs> That's a very good question. Uh, when, when I first came over here, I was surprised at the kind of uh, recreational football in that they don't. They play a lot of the time. They don't play with goals. They play with like it's like a foot high kind of plank of wood, so you can't shoot from a distance. You need to kind of work the ball into the. And I really hated that because I've got a good shot and I like to shoot from forty yards, etc. Uh, so that for me, obviously, it's improving technique and stuff like that. But I was like, "Fuck it, I want to shoot from forty yards." <laughs> but. When it comes to amateurs, the, the the scene over here is 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 insane. Like where I am just now, there's these little. So there's a three three villages that are like I don't know, maybe a kilometer apart, and one of the villages is you're through it in two minutes. Not even two minutes. Like maybe if you're driving fifty kilometers an hour, you're through it in twenty seconds. And the, the, these three villages have all got uh, amateur teams. One of them's a uh, DJ, um, I've been working. I've been trying to practice how to pronounce this. DJK Tuchingerite, and they're in the the Kreisliga Eins, uh, ASV Trabosdorf, who are in the A Klasse, and Rotweiss Lisberg, who are in the the Kreisklasse. And this, I don't know if you know, but the German uh, league system is a pyramid. So these guys are all living the dream, hoping to one day get to the regional league in uh, Bayern and then maybe get into the third division of the English, of the, the, the German league. So it's, it's it's very much like you you can't you can't you can't like throw a football and you if you throw a football you hit an amateur team over here. It's insane. And they're all very like professionally set up. They've got these great pitches that are like in great condition. They've got Barriers like uh, rounds, so you can stand and watch them. They've got little, little clubhouses, and one of the teams I was reading the, the I don't know if you've read the book Tor. It's uh, the history of uh, German football, and he was talking about in that that Hitler was like wanting to get all these sports clubs up and running, uh, so that all the, the German youth would be fit and ready to go, etc. And uh, one of the the local teams, uh, Rotweiss Lisberg, actually started in 1938. So they were essentially one of these uh, Hitler Hitler youth teams, and they're still going at the moment. So that's a bit like Project Brave uh, at the SFA at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> cool. But it, it, it's the same in the overgram in terms of if you play senior football at any level, you're in a pyramid. Yeah. And at the top of that pyramid is is, is the Premier you're in League. Pyramid. Hey, you're in the pyramid. Like you're trapped in a pyramid. <laughs> I, I was trapped. The fifth level of that pyramid. It's very existential in Norwegian football, isn't it? It's very. It's, I, or I is mean, it a literal pyramid? <laughs> I think if you listen to the music of Aha, a lot of that existentialism comes true as well. well keep uh, keep as, talking as away, you know. But <laughs> I love how I love how two at least two of the Norwegian football teams are named after breakfast cereals because you've got Start and Brand and Frosties as well. And That's very good. <laughs> Bicycles <laughs> SK as well. Yeah, um, uh, Conflict Stavanger. We are mixed with hot milk. <laughs> <laughs> Terrific team. Love them in the 80s. Uh, Patrick's latest column is, is an ode to his left back position. 
Um, what's your favourite thing about being a left back, Paddy? Um, well, as a kid, my older brother, he had a left foot, and not at that level, not many people, in dominated right feet, you know, that's in my village anyway. And most people, you yeah. know, as soon as you play, you see you got a left foot. Quite a right-footed village. Well, play, well generally, yeah. kids generally, you know, they're right-footed, aren't they, as a whole, I think. So as soon as you see you got a left foot, I watched my brother playing on the side, so I copied what he did. Um, wasn't quite as good as him, but uh, I was stuck there just because I had a, you know, could play with my left foot. And one of those things, it's just stuck. Can I, can I ask you a question, sorry, jump in. Um, what are the key components of being a left-back? Oh, well, that's an interesting one. Um, that's an interesting question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just need a left foot. Yeah, well, no, well, people get by without, don't they? Um, I'd say just uh, you've got quite a whole, quite a range of things going on, haven't you? You know, you're, you're marking your right winger, or you've got to see if you're playing in the three. You know, you're seeing where you know if you're coming a bit closer, and then when the ball's on the right hand side, you're then covering over. So there's, you know, there's a lot of communication. But in terms of like one thing, I think it's, I don't know, it's hard to. Have to pinpoint really. When when you play football, what position do you play? Or when you did? I'll play. <laughs> so that's an easier uh, thing maybe to just find in terms of. I'm shape, but <laughs> I can talk. What, what your main yeah. role is, isn't it? It's, uh... But see, like, um, do you have? Do you have you got a lot of assists, or do you ever get that fired up? Do you ever overlap? Well, I, well, I get, I get, I get fired up, and then the lads go, "Paddy, what are you doing? What are you doing? Come back, come back." <laughs> but that that depends on you know the, the team we're playing or the situation of the game. I, in my younger days, I was always overlapping and stuff, but maybe just can't nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's the key point. Sorry, jumping again, but I think that's the key point about Kieran Tierney. He does have the way Andrew Robertson is a little bit suspect at the back sometimes in terms of his uh, positioning and his ability to understand when he needs to drop, um, Tierney has it all. Tierney has it going forward and going back. I love the fact the... that Tierney is the best left-back, best centre-back and best right-back for Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a, a, a country, country and, Mac fact. And that's just a position we tried him in. He might have just be the best of everything. <laughs> that's a good point to leave it. Um, the supplement... Fifth edition is out on 90minutescynic.com. 90minutescynic.com. Um, it's a cacophony of great writers. Thank you to all the writers. Thank you to uh, Matt Evans for subediting. Yeah. Thank you to Keith McKinty for putting the, the, the PDF together. Yeah, good work, Harchie. He's, he's finally done something this issue. Well done, Keith. Um, thanks to Pat for, um, Pat for just letting me be in his uh, presence, to be honest. He's one of the, <laughs> the coolest people I've ever met. Yeah. I'm going to put, Pat, we'll, we'll take a picture of Pat and put him up on the... I love his hair. Um, it's pretty great hair, man. It's insane. Well, I've enjoyed uh, the occasion, so it's been a really uh, interesting chat. It's... Uh, I'll be listening out for the next one. We'll be, we'll be um, keeping track of what Stockport are doing as well. Absolutely. And Jim again. Could, could be a, a Brendan Rodgers replacement there in, in, in time. Graham, we do apologise for all the ineffectiveness. And, uh, it, was, it was very inefficient. I was not, I was not pleased. Not what you're used to anymore, no, is it? No. So good luck with all your examinations of Italian Germans. Exactly. Uh, yeah. I will examine them well and hard. That got really weird, man. <laughs> Also, um, Graham Sunnis. Graham Sunnis, Alan McCoy, Walter Smith, one of those probably the next Scotland managers. <laughs> yeah, so you want, you want someone staunching, you want a lovely brown brogue, and you want Scotland to be back like the good old days, don't you, Graham? Exactly. You are from Barhead, aren't you? Just punt and run, man, just punt and run. Uh, check out 90minutesinic.com for the supplement and for lots of old we've got lot archives full of wow. really interesting if you like Thomas Brolin I did a profile on him one, one time no one likes Thomas Brolin you go 
Fuck up. Um, I'm a fucking starting to really just like him. I'll be honest with you. That's really annoying me. It's good to get some other end of the line. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. he punched. No, um, thanks for coming on, Graham. Was... Yeah, no, thanks, Graham. It's been a pleasure. Um, Christian, thanks for just. This is your podcast, so you actually, in fact, you finish it out, but yeah. Well, I, I think we'll, we'll be back next week for the podcast. Back yeah. in regular podcasting. Yeah, back re- regular podcast. I probably won't week. be here. Paddy won't be here. Graham. Well, probably won't be here either. Can I come back next week? You might be able to come back. At the, the, cut the rain, just chat. That's <laughs> <laughs> what I'd say. Uh, check us out on iTunes. Um, search for 90 Minutes Cynic on iTunes. And uh, please subscribe. And if you like us, why not leave a comment? I mean, you don't have to. Also, if it's a, a negative comment, get yourself to fuck. Yeah. yeah. I'll put it on Twitter so we can actually see who you are. 90, at 90 Minutes Cynic on Twitter. That's where we put out all of our links and deets, details. Um, but check out the supplement because it is phenomenal. It's a, it's free content. It's adult analysis, some would say. We also have uh, Stevie Greaves on tactics. It's the last article there. Stevie uh, G. The most detailed... Um, writing on uh, analytics uh, you probably find anywhere on Scottish football um, where are you on Twitter what's your Twitter handle Graham it's at pedestrian G it's, it's really weird but yeah like pedestrian but with an O and then a capital G yeah I think a lot more efficient Twitter name yeah I really need to get that going at PJ Solich yeah that's, that's all you need to know yeah at follow it for updates on the Copman Talk Absolutely, Carnival yeah. uh, Carnival and uh, season, football season. Say if I follow you, and you don't follow me back. No. <laughs> <laughs> Snapshot of Middle England. So thank you very much, and uh, we'll see you down the road. Seen enough to eye you, but I've seen too much to try you. It's always weirdness why you dig it much too much to fry you.
back up, will you? Cause when I need a friend, it's still you. What a man.